0: better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
1: Hi folks, It's is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. It's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Thursday, April the 19th. This is episode 884 of the Survival Podcast, and it's a good one. Uh, I have on the show, I I believe it's the third time, at least the second, a gentleman named Brandon Sheldon. And for those of you that didn't hear from him before, I think you're going to be blown away today. Brandon's a guy that took the initiative himself, founded a nonprofit organization to deliver relief work into Haiti initially. He's also done work in Joplin, Missouri. They're always looking for other places to help out. Uh, They do an amazing job going into the worst disaster areas on the planet. I think he's been to Haiti five times now. He's here to tell us about the problems they're still going through, what we can learn about our own preps based on two very different disasters, one being the Joplin tornado and two being the Haitian earthquake and some key differences there. And honestly, to ask for your support in the work that he does. I know a lot of people are quick to write a check to the Red Cross once a year. Um, but there was hundreds of millions of dollars spent for the Haitian relief effort in the Red Cross. And to this day, uh, many people that have been down there on relief work haven't seen a single Red Cross facility set up. And, and Port-au-Prince ain't that big a place. Groups like Brandon's uh, organization are saving lives. They're saving lives every day. They'll save a child's life with $4 uh, by treating cholera so the child doesn't die of diarrhea. So uh, I know that's not a great table conversation, but it's a fundamental reality. He's also going to tell us about some interesting things he learned in Joplin, including a fungal infection that's not very common but something that will wake us up quite a bit. I'll bring him on in just a moment. Before I do, though, I want to go ahead and take care of our sponsors They do a lot to help take care of you by helping make sure the show is here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day number one today is ShelfReliance.com. Notice I said shelf, like something you put things on rather than self, like we usually think of with self-reliance. But Shelf Reliance helps you be self-reliant. Because they build these systems that allow you to easily eat what you store and store what you eat and automatically rotate your food and take all the guesswork and all the extra effort out of pulling your cans to the front, sticking them to the back, shove them in the top. They come out the bottom. Everything's always rotated. Check them out today, ShelfReliance.com. And remember, their Thrive brand of long-term storage food. Some of the best stuff I've ever eaten in the long-term storage world comes from the Thrive brand. Check them out today. Next up today, the Free State Project. Remember, the Free State Project isn't actually our sponsor. I'm sponsoring them. And I'm moving more toward that model as I do lose sponsors. It doesn't happen often. But giving away spaces to organizations that I believe in what they're doing and making that one of my charitable contributions uh, I was a guest speaker at the Liberty Forum for the Free State Project this winter, and they blew me away with how articulate and intelligent the people in that movement are, how much they're getting done. And, of course, they're trying to transform the state of New Hampshire into the freest state on planet Earth. And they've chosen New Hampshire for a variety of reasons. One, because it's small, and two, because it has a huge legislative body. So just a few people in a congressional district up there can make a big difference at the state level, and they're doing that. There's other ways to help them other than moving them moving there, but check them out today uh, at the Free State Project. You'll find their banner and the banner of all our sponsors in the right-hand margin of our website, thesurvivalpodcast.com. That way you know you're dealing with one of our actual sponsors and not somebody who has a very similar domain name because, believe it or not, that actually does go on. Next up today, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I've been putting out a lot of stuff on Facebook and Twitter lately, Uh, a lot of stuff that comes in that doesn't make it on the show because you just don't have the time to get it all in. I put it out through those channels, and it's some pretty important information, some stuff I put out this week already, things that you'd want to know. Uh, next, remember, you can now get uh, TSP Copper Medallions and many other cool copper medallions at tspcopper.com. These are barter tokens, official AOCS currency, uh, and they're also great ways to spread messages like the messages of freedom and Ron Paul and Rand Paul and, and other really critical things to the liberty movement. So they're inexpensive. You can get a roll of them for 34 bucks, even if you're buying one roll and they go down from there. And MSB members, you get a discount of 10% on all copper there. Last but not least, do consider joining the member support brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members. And, uh, I'll tell you what else you get. You'll get discounts to about 32 different supporting vendors. You'll also get $150 worth of free ebooks, and you'll be supporting the show. When you do the math, at about $0.18.3 per episode. Um, I also want to remind you guys, if you are military law enforcement, Peace Corps, or anybody that would consider themselves a first responder that that puts their life on the line and and works hard to support the country uh, or your local government or what have you, or supported our nation overseas, feel free to apply for that. Tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did uh and most instances i'll be happy to extend that service level discount to you certainly anybody military law enforcement peace corps automatically just just give me a little information don't send me a cv or a resume or anything like that or a photocopied id card or anything just you know i was with so and so unit and this is where we were that's all i really need or maybe what you did just you know the way you would talk to any other person that was prior service and they said what did you do and you'd you know give them you know two sentences on that that 's all I need all right with that, I do have the housekeeping wrapped up but i 'm excited to bring Brandon back on again. Brandon is the founder of Bella medical ministries he 's probably saved hundreds of lives in the last few years because he believes it 's the right thing to do and he 's seen humanity at its best and its worst he 's here to talk about the work that he 's done, the work that his group has done, and he 's here to also tell us about the lessons we can learn about what happens when a society breaks down and I hate to say it, but I think these are lessons we need to learn now, because sooner or later we're going to have to deal with some form of it. Uh And with that, hey, Brandon, welcome back to the Survival Podcast, man.
0: Hey, Jack. Thanks nice for having me. Really appreciate it.
1: Well, hey, um, for people that maybe didn't catch you the first time around, could you... uh just give people a little bit of background on how you, you you started Bella Ministries and why, not the full story, but maybe the uh, sixty second elevator speech on it before we talk about what's gone on since the last appearance.
0: No problem. Um, yeah, we back in uh, uh, January twelfth of twenty ten. Um, the Haitian earthquake hit, uh, uh, devastated the country of Haiti. Uh, a friend of mine, that's pastor, uh, called me. And they supported an orphanage down there and, and asked if there's any way I could put, I'm a paramedic and, and most of my friends are paramedics and asked if there's any way I can get some guys to go down there, uh, and help them out. Uh, so you know, obviously it, uh, it didn't pay anything. So there's a short list of guys that wanted to go, uh, made a couple phone calls, uh, a couple of guys of mine said, yeah, we'll go down there, um, and, and see what we can do. So, you know, in a whirlwind of, of, uh, uh of, Packing and planning and, you know, really just kind of a god thing that got us on an aircraft going in there. Uh, still not sure how happened. We ended up on the ground in Haiti in the opening days of the relief effort. Uh, the first child we treated in Haiti was a little girl named Bella. And uh, uh, to keep it short, you know, she was – we didn't expect her to live no matter what we were able to do medically, you know, but she did. She pulled through and she came back to uh, uh, the state uh, was in Indiana with her adopted family. And that was kind of the foundation of the ministry, which is, is named after her. just um, how many people make it, you know, in disaster, how many people don't make it, uh in just really poor countries and poor regions, even here in our own country, just simple medical care that we all take so much for granted. And uh with the background of being a prepper and everything, it, it just kinda of really dovetailed all together with working in the disaster zones. So that's kind of the short version of uh how we got started and We do continuous deployment, uh, redeployment back to Haiti, uh, help out with the continued relief effort. Now to combat cholera and and all the other problems that have as was uh, domestic disasters here at home with uh, different tornadoes and floods and things like that.
1: All right, so like it was uh, maybe twice I think I actually have had you on before. This might be your third appearance. Maybe it was one. I'm not sure, but... I know that the last time I had you on it was like a year after the disaster and there were still a lot of problems there. I think most Americans though look at this today and go, Haiti, that was over two years ago now. So everything has to kind of be put back together. Maybe it's not great, but it's at least as good as it was. Uh, But that really isn't the case, is it?
0: No, Jack, not at all. It's uh, uh, The Haiti two years after the quake uh, is really not a lot different. And in some ways it's a lot worse than Haiti one year after the quake. Or Haiti two weeks or two months after the quake. It's, it's, uh, been a very, you know, educational experience from a, a, a prepper standpoint, you know, and it's been very, um, I won't say beneficial, but it, it's just to be involved in the continuing relief effort down there is definitely, I, I feel like it's done more for me, you know, uh, personally than, than I can ever, than we can ever come there necessarily. But, uh, uh, but from the standpoint of when it, what it looks like when it all falls apart, you know, and everything, you know, the government wasn't on the best day prior to the quake, wasn't on shaky ground. And, and afterwards, even with new presidents and everything else, it just doesn't, it hadn't made any difference, you know, and and watching the outbreak of disease that uh, uh, these refugee camps that still have hundreds of thousands of people in them are, uh, uh, it's just, you know, un- unbelievable to uh uh to watch that kind of downward slide of a country that used to be it's always been the poorest nation in the western hemisphere um but but now it's it's uh walking through some of the tent cities it's it's like anything you've seen in the worst you know uh, uh road warriors survival movie just the way people are forced to live uh,
1: what kind of security issues is that creating down there? I mean, I, I guess the security issue is there's there's little to no security.
0: That's the exact problem. Um, the the incident uh, uh, the, the happens or incident of, of rape within the camps is through the roof. Uh, it's it's not even really tracked. You look at the numbers that you know you see on on Amnesty uh, International in different ways. and different places. If we look at the actual numbers. And they're nowhere near the true numbers because so many of it, some, so many incidents go unreported, and that's rape, murder, robbery. But the Haitian people know it doesn't make any difference if they report it. And in some cases, you know, the perpetrators are the people who report it too, you know, unfortunately, from a security standpoint, living in one of those camps, it, it just like you know, take the Superdome, you know, post Katrina, and just you know, make it exponentially worse. Um, you know, yeah, a, I think
1: what we had with the Superdome was things being exaggerated, and and what we have with Haiti is things being largely understated.
0: Exactly, I, and I agree. And, and you know, obviously, I I uh, I've been to Haiti. I, I was blessedly in the uh, Superdome after Katrina. But um, I'll say this much: it, it doesn't matter how well equipped our teams are when we go into those tent cities. You know, you're uh a day's worth of preparation with working with the people in charge of that that tent city, um, the kind of unofficial mayor of it, just to go in there in a safe bin, and and you can you can bet your last dollar that we're out of there well before sundown because it's a different world.
1: Have you noticed that sometimes, like when you're bringing in aid, it actually maybe at, at some point might even cause issues like i was just recently watching an episode of anthony bourdain and he was i think in somalia or ethiopia and they were doing you know a thing on the food and they, they were at this like this uh, downtown marketplace and he was eating five six different meals to do the shoot and he realized that here he is shoving all this food in his face and all these people around him some of them hadn't eaten in three days so they take up a collection, they go to one booth, they say to this lady, "We'll buy everything you have, line people up and feed them for free, one meal on us apiece and it, it damn near started a riot and,
0: and it will and and unfortunately i, I we've seen that uh, it's really got curtailed with the uh the, the problems you had people with the best attention especially in the in the immediate aftermath of the quake in the first few months um, but even today going to those ten cities and uh and the, the, the Haitian people, especially the ones that live in those tents, they've been doing this for two years. And you know, some of them are that some of them, you know, were living in a tent before the earthquake, but you know, they can look at that truck and look at the number of people and they know exactly how many people are getting fed, you know, and, and that's if it's not enough, it's not going to be enough. And that's the quickest thing that, that'll start a, an incident or a riot, you know, and, and all it takes is just that one little whisper of, you know, that, that, they're running out of this or they're not going to have enough of that or you're not going to get yours. Uh And, and it's not, uh, you know, what you see with people worried about, you know, something simple, uh, you know, waiting in line at a restaurant or handing out free breadsticks and they might not get breadsticked breadstick. And, and we as Americans get angry about that, you know, and, uh but this food runs out and who knows when the next food that's coming in. And, and like you just said about the, the, uh, the show in Somalia, you know, These people might not have eaten for days. You know, how many people that are waiting in that line have a child that, that is literally starving to death, sitting back in their little hovel that they've put together of scrap lumber and tarps and, and, uh, what would you do if you get to the front of the line to make sure that you had that bowl of rice or whatever it was that was being distributed? And, uh, in the opening days of the disaster and then even after now it still happens, people with the best intentions will show up and, and not know how to organize the 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 chaos basically that they're gonna create. And, how do you do, it, do it, that? It, I mean what
1: what what do you do to prevent that from happening? Because I'm sure that many of us are concerned that at some point in the future, because we're prepared, we may be the people standing at the front of the line handing food out instead of in the line getting the food in, in some scenarios we could deal with here. But at the same time, one of the reasons people aren't willing to share is because they're not willing to share some of what they have they're 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 afraid to put themselves at risk. so what was your like your s o p for distributing uh food or materials without causing a riot well,
0: generally the way and that's what I said, you know the, even today to get into the tents uh uh to to do any type of aid distribution um which has gotten more and more difficult from a regular standpoint uh some of these tent cities. The, the Haitian government doesn't want where they're at. They want them bulldozed down, and they they have done that in the past. They've you know, run a bulldozer through and smashed them flat, and they just will have nowhere to go. Um, but uh, for a time period, you could not. You know, it was illegal in Haiti to do any medical aid, to distribute any clothing, formula, diapers, food, anything to certain tent cities. They they. You just couldn't do it. If you got caught doing it, you'd be expelled from the country. After a They were, like,
1: storm. trying to starve them out and get them to go somewhere Basically, else.
0: Um, the theory behind it being that a lot of people came from the provinces, came from the, what's what they call the countryside, the rural areas of Haiti, after the quake, because they didn't have anything out there, and they knew that they would be able to get aid and food and, and clothing and everything in Port-au-Prince. Um, and that's true, and you, and you do meet people that have done that and everything. And, and uh you spend enough time down there, and you recognize just last like year, you recognize a Southern accent or a Texans accent or somebody from the north, and it's the same thing. You're there long enough, you recognize the different. And you can tell when somebody's not from the area, and the Haitians can really tell. Um, uh, but for the most part, that, those are a very small number of people compared to the hundreds of thousands that are still homeless. I think the last number I heard was somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 600,000 still in uh, in in the tents themselves. Uh, but every tent has a, every city has a, a, a mayor, and they can be anywhere from a few hundred people to tens of thousands of people. And to get in and do that in, in one of the cities that's not already organized and has regular aid, um, you have to go and kind of meet with that one guy, the mayor, uh, so to speak, of that tent city that has the people's respect, is in a position of leadership, and you meet with him and you tell him you want to do how you want to do it. And, and he will go about securing an area saying, okay, this is the area you're going to be in. Like with our med, med calls, he will go around to, and send his kind of lieutenant or other leadership people out because they know the people that are sick because everybody will get in line. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't matter if they're sick or not. Everybody wants something because they don't know what you're giving out. It might, it might drink of water. You know, it, it might be, you know, who knows? You know, when you don't have anything, you'll get in line for whatever it is. And uh they'll go and try to and get the sickest individuals, sickest children We only We wanna see the, the children, pregnant women and the elderly first, you know, and anybody with the open wounds. Mm-hmm. Uh that we need to, to try to head out infection. Um uh, most of the tent cities already have a separate area where the keep people that have cholera, every tent city has cholera in it. Um and we deal with that separately. That's a lot easier to deal with because n- nobody that doesn't have cholera wants to come into that area. Uh, sure at all but, sure. but you, you have to organize it uh we bring in all our own equipment to set up kind of a mobile clinic and we set it up several of us that our entire job unless there's a, a major uh major emergency that comes in or just something that, that as medics we're more familiar with and as having so much time in country we're more familiar with than our volunteers uh, a lot of times in those settings we won't practice medicine or there might be six of us there that have been there multiple times uh, and have specific skill sets, and one of us is practicing medicine, the other five, will, or are literally standing security. And a big part of it, if you walk into those places wearing shorts and flip flops, you know, and, and your you know New York Yankees T-shirt, you're gonna have problems just because you look. You look easy. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, you take what you got. If you want, just, you know, we've had comments made about the, the pictures you know, that we, of us in country don't look like missionaries <laughs> at all. Um, but if you're wearing, you know, pants, boots, you know, you have a smile laid across your neck, you know, you have a, a quasi military look to you, you know, you're young, you're halfway decent, you're not young, but I mean, you're, you're, Military age, you know, you don't have, you know, hair down the middle of your back. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I know some great docs with long hair, but it's, it's just the, the ones that will run up and grab something won't run up and grab something from what they're thinking to be, you know, a group of Marines standing around. Yeah, so you,
1: it's to, better to look like you work for Blackwater than the Red Cross, is what you're saying.
0: <laughs> Basically, yeah. If you're in those tent cities and in those situations, that, that's, you know, it's just the, the matter. And that's in Haiti now. If you were to work, and we have friends that do work in Afghanistan, friends that do work at, in conflict zones, different story there. You know, the last thing I want to look like in, in Afghanistan is I, d- I don't want to stand out and look like, hey, I'm here as a soldier.
1: Sure.
0: So, uh, but in, but in Haiti, the, the biggest thing is, is just getting that, that one-on-one time with the person that runs. If you just walk in there, you're going to do more harm than good because you're going to start a riot. And people are going to get trampled and women and children are going to get hurt and people are going to get stabbed over what you're giving out. You know, and, and, and fortunately it happens a lot. It really does. Um, and the whole time you're doing aid, the whole time you're helping, you have to have people watching out to make sure that you, that nobody's taken advantage of. All of a sudden, your ten man team is a nine man team, and you can't find that tenth man because he's gone. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's trying to help
1: ball. people at the same time. They, they, some of those people will, will, will hurt you, or mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a risk of just having one of your guys grabbed and ransomed back.
0: It, it, it you know, it, it happens, it, you know. Uh, it's never happened to us, fortunately, and I think one of the reasons we haven't had any major incidents, we've had uh, uh, of and people that have just gotten ill that really had nothing to do with being in-country. They would have been ill at home. Yeah. You know, uh, but it was better to get them back to the States to receive treatment than to try to either treat them there with limited resources or have them tough it out. Um, But luckily we haven't had major problems, but in five months there's been – uh a couple of relief workers. Uh, uh, one right off the top of my head that I knew that that was murdered. Um, uh, wrong place, wrong time, and uh, in a bank robbery,
1: hmm. and,
0: uh, and got shot. Now that can happen here. Uh, sure. But uh, uh, another, a missionary recently that was uh, uh, he lived, but he was shot in the stomach at point blank range over. You know, a, a backpack that the only thing that was really in it, what they saw him put in it that they wanted was a digital camera that you could get at Walmart and buy in the states for forty-five bucks.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Real quick. All right. So, I mean, you, you've been down there quite a bit. How many times have you guys actually been on the ground in the, in the last two years since you started Bella Ministries?
0: Um, since the beginning in Haiti, we've about five about five times. Okay. Um between us going down just uh uh ourselves or just people directly from Bella on uh relief trips uh and then we've taken a couple different groups down you know organizations that really wanted to go and help but had never been before were kind of unsure about the security situation um and uh that's one of the things that that we do as a ministry is we will take any group, you know, not necessarily a church group, but you know, a business, a civic you know, organization anybody. Anybody wants to go and help. I, I don't care if you're Christian or Buddhist or Muslim, if you want to go and help people then then we'll take you down there and, and run all the logistics and security and the on site medical care. You know, even if you wanna go down you want to build houses or go down and just love on the kids. You know, in the in the orphanage, uh we're more than happy to do that and, and uh uh, and it works out really well for the the village we go to because we run all the background checks and everything and cause especially you're dealing with kids in a vulnerable population the boot of of women and children you really got to be cautious uh, of who you're taking down there and, and to make sure that their motives are, are, are true um, but uh, we've taken a couple of different groups down and, and it's just kind of a one-stop turnkey they say we want to go and we have this many people and Check into airfare and, and, uh, what the food cost is going to be and, and, uh, give them a number, you know, X amount of dollars per person. And, uh, and then all I have to do is, uh, uh, follow a payment schedule and a training schedule. Um, and then we'll take them in. Got
1: right, you. Yeah. Well,
0: um, well, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, I, 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 I'll discuss it a little bit later. But when I said food, it reminded me one of, uh, uh, the show, uh, sponsors uh I got nothing but another one of the show sponsors got nothing but good things to say about their product,
1: <laughs> okay well, I wanted to shift gears for a minute because you guys also went in and provided some relief in Joplin after the f five tornado there uh last year, and yep. I haven't been to Joplin, but there was a tornado of just about equal size that went through birmingham uh Alabama and yeah, last done, year
0: like or so before.
1: Yeah. Last year, I drove through there and looked at the devastation. I've, I have I lived in Texas a long time, in Arkansas, and I've seen a lot of tornado damage. Uh, a lot of it. I, I lived in a place where it was a black mark on the touchdown map, and I'm like, why do I live here? But what <laughs> I saw there... And we just had tornadoes in Dallas. I was just down there and we had an outbreak, 14 tornadoes Mm -hmm. throughout the Metroplex, and and it did a lot of damage. But it was roofs pulled off. And it was, you know, maybe a, a structure or two fully destroyed, but it wasn't like what I saw on the TV for Joplin, and it wasn't like what I saw in Alabama at all. It was. When, I, when I, was, I stopped in Alabama, I'm like, I have to stop, and I have to take this in. And I stood there, and I looked at it, and what I thought of immediately was the old 1980s movie, The Day After, that was about nuclear mm-hmm. war. That's what it looked like. And I thought I understood it from photos, but standing there was a totally different experience. Would you say kind of the same thing?
0: 100% in agreement. When we got to Joplin, and uh, we, we went into the, the strike zone, and, uh, got out of the truck and at the edge of the strike zone where the tornado started to kind of lift it up. And, uh, it's kind of a, a, a real light rolling terrain where it went through. It's, uh, started in a residential area and then moved into a, a kind of mixed use business and residential area and finally ended in a, re- in a commercial area. Um, but it was, we stood and, and, uh, and looked at as far as you could see, uh, in front of you and for a mile wide. There was not one structure left standing. The only thing left in the air other than just piles of debris were uh, trees that did not have one, one small branch, you know, one leaf, no bark. And that's exactly what it looked like the, the, you know, like a nuclear bomb that went off. And uh, for us, having been, you know, when we were talking about it, we drove from Florida to Missouri, uh, pulling a trailer full of, uh, medical supplies and, and other really, uh, supplies and equipment. Um, we had talked about it. And, okay, well, you know, we looked at it on TV, and, and it'll be, bit you of know, similar to Haiti. There's going to be a lot of destruction, and and it just you couldn't compare it, uh, an earthquake to a tornado. That was our, our first time in a tornado strike zone, and and just the level of devastation was unreal. I mean, you go over and look at a, a where a house used to be, and there's a foundation there, and there and the foundation has one of all been actually moved. You can see the, the compacted earth where it's been moved, and there's pieces of the foundation missing <laughs> you know, where, where, it, where it sucked all the, the plumbing pipes, even the copper lines sticking out of the ground or, or either bent over or ripped out of the ground. It was unreal.
1: And I'm always amazed in those events, and, and no disrespect to anybody that was was killed or seriously injured in any of them, but how many people aren't. How many people survive and and, and are relatively unhurt and, and they're like yeah was, and they show a picture of their house and you just think to yourself how did this person survive and I, I don't know Missouri well so I don't know if a lot of those houses up there unlike down here have basements or cellars in them but you know when I I hear you know there's a tornado watch in your area go to your basement now and I'm like there isn't a house for a thousand miles around here with a basement and it amazes me that people actually survive in the numbers that they do. In those types of a strike, it, 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 it boggles my mind.
0: That was the same thing for us when we were standing there looking and, and, and in, 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 in Joplin in that part of Missouri. Um, I know I didn't see hardly any, uh, homes or where home sites, where homes used to be that had basements and most people don't, uh, don't have a basement there. Um, at least in that part of the town, uh, it's older construction and, uh, uh, but looking at it, that's what, you know, we couldn't believe. That you know it is just an absolute miracle. There, there wasn't thousands dead. You know, I, uh, there's I think the number was six thousand residential homes were completely destroyed, and it hit on a Sunday afternoon. You know, people were at home. Yeah. And uh, and it's just absolutely amazing. You know that that you know the the I believe a hundred and between the actual storm and people that that succumbed to injuries in and uh an illness that got fungus that actually uh, infected several people uh, during the storm, and they succumbed to that uh, later on, which was really kind of scary and strange that that it was happening. But um, I think the number stood at like 118 or 122, but with 6,000 homes destroyed. You know and and no
1: wonder how thousands the dump is not of thousands of people seriously oh, it was, injured
0: or killed it, it it was. Was, yeah, yeah. I mean you look at it and you just don't you look at a home that you know that you know you're talking to the family that they're they're walking you through you know across the slab of their house and this is where we hid you know from the tornado hmm. and then you look around and there's nothing you know uh it's it's just absolutely amazing that that anybody survived um yeah, there's a uh, there's a YouTube video. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, seen it. I'll, I'll send you a link to it. If anybody want, wants to, to to kind of just know what it was like when it came over, just from a, an audio standpoint, it's a video, a kid shot that was in a gas station and it rolled right over top of them. Uh, and then he went back to the gas station days later to show the damage. Um You can't see anything because all the lights are out and everything. And they hid in the beer cooler and everybody survived. It is one of the most terrifying things. I've ever heard in my
1: life. Yeah. Yeah, I think I have seen that video, but send me the link, yeah. cause we'll put, I'll put it in the show notes for people that haven't. It's, uh, it's a devastating thing, And but let's talk a little bit about the, the, the similarities and the differences. I mean, when people are without everything, we're all equal, we're all the same. But Haiti is a, an impoverished island in the middle of the Caribbean without a lot going for it in the first place and didn't have a whole bunch of people sitting right around it that wanted to help. Joplin, Missouri, is sitting in the middle of, you know, the the southern part of the United States, which is some of the greatest people on the planet Earth in the southern United States. And there were all kinds of people that wanted to help, and yet you had this completely overwhelming event. So what things were the same and what things were different?
0: The things that were similar or very similar, you know, would have been that opening kind of 24, 48 hours before – all the aid poured in and, and obviously they were in a better situation because they already had, you know, uh, well, a way they had a fire department, they had EMS services, they had police, they had a hospital. Uh, even though there, there's two hospitals in Joplin and, uh, uh, one of them took a direct hit from the storm and was the building that was the only large structure that you could see the strike on was this, this big shell of a hospital and it looked fine to get close and it was a shell, no glass in it. Literally, you know, you, you read the stories. We talked to one of the ER docs that was on, uh, on staff that night, um, uh, that the storm hit. The patients literally being sucked out of windows, uh, just, just horrific stuff. But the, the, uh, uh, so they did have an operable hospital and they had a trauma center, their region's only trauma center that, that luckily was outside of the strike zone. Um, but you, so you did have that, that, surge of, uh, of people coming in, the, the, the strike affected what I understand about a little bit less than a third of the town, uh, that was really hit. So if you lived on the other side of town, people didn't even know it had happened. You know, because power went out, the phones were down, cell was down, you know, people really didn't know what happened. And like we were talking to some of the, the EMS survivors and firefighters and medics that, that drove into the disaster zone because you could, the storm didn't look like a typical tornado because it was just so big. Um and it was just a big wall cloud that kinda hit it and and from that's what everybody's described was it just looked like a real big nasty thunderstorm uh mm-hmm. moving across one part of the town, because uh, it was over a mile wide. But uh uh that was the tornado. But when the like one of the medics we talked to was one of the first people that drove into it in their ambulance uh and drove into the strike zone after the storm and he said he came down twentieth street and uh, and turned uh, which is a it, 20th goes all the way through the strike zone for miles and he turned into it and he, he just, you no, know, he, he thought he was dreaming or having a nightmare. Uh, it was his description. He said, you look, and there's just nothing, fires everywhere, you know, just you know, people. He said it looked like something out of a zombie movie, people just stumbling down the street covered in blood and the days and everybody kind of keyed in on that one structure that was left, the hospital and people started heading that way. And, uh, he said, and at first he didn't know where to start. You know, he looked at his partner and, and who's a, a, a real veteran, uh, EMS, uh, medic. And, and he said, what do we do? Where do we start? And they got out of the truck and grabbed the closest guy to him. He said, we'll start right here. And that was the beginning of it. Um, whereas in Haiti, you know, you didn't have that organized response. Um, and you had the entire area affected. Everybody was affected. Uh, as opposed to an isolated uh, uh, isolated part of the city or part of the town. Um, but uh, uh, then you had a huge outpouring uh, coming into the area to help, uh, coming into Port-au-Prince to help. But uh, in Joplin, it was, you know, everybody we met from people that had lost everything, you know, you'd be helping somebody clear debris and everything out of just a random yard, just clearing trees and everything and helping them clear their lot. You know, three weeks later and you get to talking to the guy that you're working with, and, uh, uh, well, where are you from? Oh, I live three streets now, and his house is still covered in tree limbs, or what's left of it is covered, and, but he's over here helping, you know, his neighbor, you know, and when they get done clearing his lot, they'll go over to the next neighbor, and the next, and eventually, they'll get to his house. Yeah, you know, I met people from Goplin, Missouri, you know, all the way from, California, us from Florida. We met a guy that just threw a bunch of hand tools, you know, shovels, rakes, chainsaws in his truck and drove from Alberta, Canada just to come help. Wow. I think
1: that there's a there's an arrogance that there's probably some people thinking right now that I want to head off before it goes any further in their head. And I think it's that they're thinking about what you're saying and they're saying, Well see that's what Americans do versus what Haitians do. And, and I'd like to point out a key difference here if I could and why that's the case and it's more than their nationality or who they are the people in Haiti largely feel like there is no hope the people yeah. in Joplin and the people surrounding there feel like well we'll put this back together the key difference is not their nationality or the color of their skin or their religious belief it's that one group of people has hope and the other people feels that the situation is hopeless and people in a hopeless situation behave entirely differently than people who can see the other side, and I think that is a huge reason that we need to stick to the concept of always being prepared. Because if you have something to work with, you maintain that hope. And I, I mean, if you don't think that's that's accurate, because you've been there and I haven't, you can tell me. But I mean, to me, and doing this four years now, that seems to be the differentiator. It's when people lose hope. That things really get bad long term
0: yeah, the the that's the the most dangerous you know person in the disaster zone uh, the you know either immediately after or months after is that person that knows that they have nothing to lose because they have no hope of anything ever getting better and and that's the you in know, Joplin, one you know you have you know homeowners insurance or even if you don't you know that you know i'm going to go to the shelter tonight and have a place to sleep and a warm meal to eat no matter what, you know, my children were, are, are going to sit here and dehydrate, you know, uh, and die for lack of clean water. You know, I don't have to worry about uh, my family all contracting cholera you know, b- because this is America, you know, this yeah. is one town in one state, you know, and one isolated area and the entire country came running to help. But when your entire country can't help, yeah, they just don't have the ability to, uh, you know, it's the perfect example is the Haitian palace, the presidential palace, the Haitian White House. The only difference between when I first saw it days after the quake and when I saw it just a couple months ago when we were down is the rubble's cleared up and there's not an armored personnel carrier sitting on the front lawn. The front of it's still gutted. The building is gutted. It's, it's the, palace, the presidential palace has not been rebuilt.
1: So that would be like if a disaster happened here and people went in and raided the White House. And not only did they do it, but two years later, they hadn't even put it back together yet.
0: Yeah, two years later, there's still 10,000 people living in tents, you know, the equivalent of the Haitian Pennsylvania Avenue. They're living across the street from the palace in tents, two years after the disaster.
1: And you can understand where the hopeless feeling for those people come from.
0: Yeah, they're looking at, if the government can't even rebuild, you know, their own house, who's going to rebuild mine? How am I going to rebuild mine? There's no work, you know, there's, there's no, it's just hopeless. You know, and and it really, that's really the difference is the lack of hope. And and you get into different cultural things and, and that came to play, you know, with, in Haiti, I didn't see people coming from other parts of the country to come to Port-au-Prince to steal. Hmm. You know, we saw people coming. You know, that were, you know, really down and out, rural, poor, living a, you know, in a in a dirt hovel in the countryside, and they said, "Well, I can live in a dirt hovel in Puerto prince but at least I know I'll be able to get food and water for my family through aid distributions." So There's some people actually thing. saw it as an opportunity. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, and and, and same in John, you know, the the from uh, all the LEOs and, and the other in the. The MPs that we talked to that were there and everything. The problem that they were having for the most part, from a security standpoint, people this thievery and, and there was no like wide scale looting. And I think part of that was, what are going to loot, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything's gone. But, but they did have, especially once the, the, uh, the deposits the got set up, the point of supply, you know, the relief areas got set up. Um, the police were arresting people from Illinois coming down there and, and raiding those uh, uh, those pauses at night and stealing stuff. The, the, we stayed at a church that was, uh, they were the furthest, uh, pause. they only paused on, on uh, I believe, I want to say it was the northeast side of the city, and that's where we ended up setting up our base of operations and laying our heads at night, and uh, we told them, we could provide security for you in the evenings, and it wasn't like Haiti where, you know, you're walking around with a rifle swung across your chest. Mm-hmm. Joplin, Missouri, in the middle of the United States. A, you didn't need it uh, necessarily, and B, the citizens of Joplin would have been offended that you know you're coming from you know here's this guy coming from Florida and feels like he has to have a rifle on his chest in my in my town. Elio sure. you know, Leo wouldn't have gone for that either, especially not weeks later. But but just that presence of us being up at night, you know, and, and sleeping in shifts, it, it was just ridiculous the stuff they were losing. Like one night, somebody stole an entire pallet. You know, uh, a four by four by like six feet tall stack of boxes of Kotex tampons, a whole pallet.
1: you know, know, and I know people right now are going, "Why would they do that?" Well, they'll do it to sell it on the black market. Uh, That sheriff in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, I can't think of his name now, that dyed all the underwear pink. Everybody thinks, yeah, (laughs) Sheriff Joe, right? Everybody thinks he did that to humiliate the prisoners. When they asked him about, he said, "I didn't do it to humiliate the prisoners. We were having over seven million dollars worth of underwear a year stolen." Mm -hmm. So I dyed it pink, and I ruined the black market by using pink underwear because no, exactly. no dude wants to buy pink underwear. And if they don't <laughs> – then he followed that up with if they don't want pink underwear, they can just stay out of my jail by not committing crimes. But people will steal anything, anything, anything. And, and, and then the worst things get the more that's, that's the case. One of the things I want to make sure we cover before I forget I, – I wrote it down on the, on the uh, paper I'm following here – you mentioned something kind of off the cuff there that I want to I want to know about that a couple people in Joplin succumbed to some type of fungal infection.
0: Yeah, the, it came up at one of our our uh, we had rumors started going around about it, and it's just like anything. It's you know uh, the rumor went around in the relief community, in the medical community, especially really quick about this this and I and I and I should have I should have uh, it, and I can't remember the name of of this uh, fungal infection off the top of my head. It's it's basically the it's fungus that got. It, it was a fungal infection of the bloodstream, is what it was. So, just imagine something with in Latin with blood and fungus in it, and that would be the. no well, I the got it for you. <laughs> oh, you. I got, got it? it for okay. you, but
1: I'm I'm going to probably butcher it when I try to say it. It's mycromycosis or my m u c o r m y c o s i s.
0: Mycot. get
1: yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't sound good. It says eight. No, people, no. Eight people died from this in this report I'm reading. I'll link to it in the show notes. Sustained multiple multiple. It says all eight patients sustained multiple injuries and secondary wound infections, according to the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. The infection can occur when dirt, vegetation, and other material become lodged under the skin. The death toll from the tornado stood at 151 on Friday, but eight of them were from this fungal infection. So these weren't people that caught it like we think of like catching tuberculosis. They had injuries, and that allowed this fungus to enter their bloodstream and kill them. But that's... Yeah, it, you know it's like another way to die in a disaster that. Oh, yeah. up Until and, now, I hadn't even really thought about.
0: No, they didn't. They didn't talk about it a lot uh, in the media. I, a matter of fact, outside of Joplin, I don't think we ever heard about it. But we were discussing it one of the daily medical briefings. You know, every day you'd have this a med briefing with the senior staff of the hospitals, both the, the main hospital and the, and the temporary um, uh, kind of ER that was set up. Um, but apparently, what it is is this fungus was lived deep in the ground learned tetanus and if i gave one tetanus shot i gave 500 while we were down wow. there to uh, to volunteers and everybody that was because you're going to get cut bang, and everything okay. but it was it lived deep in the ground and the tornado just ripped up so much earth that it brought it up out of the ground and some of the people um you know it the way it got into their their uh wounds and got deep into them was a lot of the the people that were that contracted it were people that were actually in the storm itself. I didn't hear any of anybody getting it from as a as a relief worker or a volunteer getting it after the fact, like stepping on a nail, and getting this killer fungus. Um, but it was just the storm dug up something from deep within the earth, and uh, and it was something that's unbelievably toxic to us. Well, I mean, the me-
1: the message there is don't assume that you know everything is no. going to get dangerous, right? Yeah. that That's something that maybe nobody even would have thought about uh, before this happened, and that just begs the question: when something else happening somewhere else, what else can can cause things mm-hmm. like that?
0: Well, exactly. You know, is how much stuff is out there that you know we have to worry about is preppers and, and stuff that we know about, but how much is out there that you never even heard of? in science. You know, I, I believe that when I was, when we were there initially talking about it, it was so rare. I know the CDC sent out a team about it. I know that because we did see them in the hospital. Um, it is just something that's just an ultra rare occurrence of it in Maine because the ground doesn't get churned like this and, and people don't get literally impaled by small fragments of soil, you know, moving at 300 plus miles an hour. Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, as you were working in, in in Joplin, what were the the biggest needs that people had?
0: Uh, for the mo- uh, food and water was not a problem. And again, and, and whereas in, in disasters in the developing world and the third world, like in Haiti and the quake in Chile, and uh, and just your general everyday life in places like Somalia and Zimbabwe, and and. Uh, uh, where food and water is the main issue in uh, Joplin, that wasn't a problem because of the, it's, in America, it was an isolated event. Huh. So there was all the food and water you needed after that initial 24 hours or so. Uh, but the, the, what people, the main thing people needed were clothing. Um, the children needed just, just a toy, just something that was familiar to them um, that they could hold on to. I mean, just the most basic things that we completely don't think about day to day, that we just, I hate to sound cliche and say that we take for granted, you know, our everyday lives, but that's what it is. You know, something as simple as having a clean shirt. You know, uh, the vast majority of these people that lost everything, literally all that they owned, all they had left were the clothes that they had on when the storm hit. Uh, You know, so many people didn't even have their wallet. You know, if you're sitting, how many of us sit at home at, on Sunday, you know, late afternoon, get ready to watch a game or, you know, start the grill or whatever, and we have our wallet and, you know, our you know, all our important papers in our pockets or even the things you leave the house with on a daily basis when to work. You know, it, I know I don't keep my wallet in my pocket when I'm walking around the house. And,
1: no, you're sitting you know, on a lump when you're in your easy chair. Then.
0: Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, and, and this storm came out of nowhere with almost no warning and uh, and just obliterated, abri- obliterated thousands of lives, you know, so in, in it, a matter of minutes.
1: So it, it seems that, you know, I mean, the only thing we can do, because I get a lot of questions about tornado prep, especially this time of year, is that we have to take some of our stuff and put it somewhere else. We can't yeah. have everything in one place. Uh, you know, our grandparents told us not to put all our eggs in one mm-hmm. basket, but but they might have meant it a little bit differently. But it applies here because you know my wife pointed this out to me. She said, you know, this is, she pointed this out back when when Haiti first happened. She said, if any of those people you know did what we do and, and stored stuff, it's all gone anyway. So you have exactly. to create redundancy there of some clothing and and stuff like that. Because even like if people keep bug out bags in their vehicle or whatever, a lot of these people's vehicles were gone. I mean, they were yeah. just taken up and thrown yeah. away.
0: Yeah, a lot of the pictures that we have are, are pictures of, of, you know, uh, school buses and suburbans and, you know, large vehicles. I mean, hell, there's a fire truck that they found three miles from the fire station. A, a pump truck. Oh my God. About A heavy piece of equipment. You know, the, the, the backup generators at the hospital, two of them, I think one of them was, uh, I mean, you're talking about these massive, you know, 15-foot by 15-foot, you know, by 12 feet. Just these massive generators, two of them, a backup to your backup. One of them, they never found.
1: Yeah, I understand that. I mean, So,
0: yeah, if if you didn't have off-site, you know, if you didn't have off-site storage of things that you would need, there's nothing you can do. If you didn't have a bug out location outside of the affected area... It didn't matter how much food or water that you had stored, uh or how much of anything else. In it, it, Haiti, it didn't matter because now it's buried under you know the center wall of uh, rubble. And yeah. in Joplin, it didn't matter because you know it might be in Kansas.
1: Yeah, I mean the the one the the storm breakout they just I mentioned that they had in Dallas, the one yeah. storm that went and crossed. I think it was Highway Twenty or Thirty. There was mm-hmm. an FJ, uh, one of the, the flying yeah, J the uh, truck stops. Mm-hmm. And and it was throwing 18-wheelers into the air and spinning them around and tossing them away like toys, and that was an EF-3. And, and what mm-hmm. you were witnessing there was the results of an EF-5, and it, it, the, the difference there is a magnitude I don't think most people can even get their head around. No. so uh, oh. It, it, so, I mean, that's the only thing I can have because I get the question all the time whenever I'm interviewed or whatever. What do you do for tornado prep? And my my answer is, no matter if if you're living in a high risk area, you've got to get some offsite storage.
0: One hundred percent. And and one of the if you're if you live in a uh, and this is for everybody. You can live in the most non-prone to natural zone area on Earth. Uh, or if you live, you know, where the, the black strike dot is always on the map for tornadoes or, it, you know, like us here in Florida with hurricanes, if you're only going to do one thing uh, for your family to prepare for natural disasters, put together a documentation kit. We saw so many people that were just in such bad shape and just suffering after the fact because they couldn't prove who they were.
1: Yeah, you'd mentioned to me before we started that that this was a place where what I say about making sure you have multiple copies and multiple locations and have everything from identification, to copies identification, account information, phone numbers, routes, all that stuff would have paid huge dividends.
0: Um, I'm sorry, Jack. I couldn't I couldn't hear anything that you just said. Uh, what I was saying is now I got
1: you. Yeah. <laughs> what what I was saying is you you said to me earlier before we got started. That this was one place where the concept of having the documentation that I talk about, phone numbers, routes, uh, you know, uh, uh, account numbers, copies of identification, all of that stuff would have paid huge dividends.
0: Completely. You know, we, we, we saw so many people and talked to so many people that, you know, they couldn't even start the insurance process. They could not go and start getting, you know, um, They couldn't go access their money that was in the bank across town that was completely unaffected. You know, there, it was just such a major, major hurdle for them to, uh, to, to have to overcome because they had no way to prove who they were. The only way they could prove who they were was their word, you know, and then unfortunately in today's society, you know, and, and for good reason, because how many people, you know, came into Joplin and got caught in Joplin? Trying to say that oh I live here and I need you know to access my bank account or you know uh, I live here and I need you know help I need aid for this that and the other you know fill sure. my car with supplies and and there's if you would just something as simple as is just like like it's always talking about on the show you know like you always say of. Um, you know, credit cards and copies of, you know, mainly just driver's license purchase certificates, things like that that you can prove who you are. You know, uh, I mean, where do you even start if you have no way to prove that, that you are Jack Spearco? You have no, not one piece of paper left in your life that says that. You know, nothing with your picture on it. That. Well, where do you even start? It's not like you can run down to the DMV and get, you know, a, a copy of your driver's license. Sure. You can't go down to the the security office and get your social security card. you can't go to the state and get your birth certificate and and it would, you know and stuff like you know people didn't have to go to a shelter because you know hey you know I, I've done pretty well for myself and you know I have a hundred thousand dollars just sitting in an emergency savings account sure. well, they, didn't do, I mean, they were in the same boat as the guy that was homeless before the storm because they couldn't prove it you know some with yeah. having that they would it, it takes what maybe. 20 minutes to put together a documentation documentation kit at your house, yeah, you know, and then store that with a trusted family member or friend or something, or put it on a thumb drive and stash mm-hmm. it somewhere. But
1: well, was, yeah, you're you're giving me a hole in my my way that I've advised this because I've always advised a minimum of one in the home and one in each vehicle. And to be fair, that probably would have mm-hmm. worked for most people. They would have been able to find at least one of them. Exactly. But, but ideally it would be better to have an extra copy across town with grandma or and have hers right. with you or mm-hmm. have one in a you know maybe a uh, what do you call it? a a box a, a, what am i
0: looking for a strong to box or safety deposit box and and, and and
1: and 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 stored somewhere where you know even if the house comes down it's still going to be there that that the because you could conceivably have all the vehicles completely eradicated and the home completely eradicated and not found it so putting additional redundancy in that because I'm sure for the people that had the information, it made a bad situation a little bit better.
0: Hey, well, yeah, it's just the simple fact that they could say, okay, well, let's run to the to Walmart and buy some clean clothes instead of having to wait in line to, to, to get some from one of the, the POSs, um, Or
1: having the, the number of their bank card, check card, yes. credit card, and being able to just call up embassy suites and go, need a room you know, mm-hmm. 10 miles out of town and, and say, you know, kids, for the next couple of nights, till we figure out what we're going to do, we're going to have room service, and, and, and we'll take the dog with us, and we'll all bribe the guy to get him in the door or whatever, but we're gonna exactly. be right.
0: you know. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to, you know, and, and obviously the, the shelters in Joplin weren't the shelters in New Orleans, but, you know, you, you've lost everything. Your family's in, you're in a state of shock. Your family's in a state of shock how much nicer would it be to be able to sit down in your own, you know, even if it's a hotel room, but it's your own space. You sure. can sit down and have that family meeting, and especially with kids and, and even with your spouses, you can just sit down and say, this is what has happened. There's nothing we can do to change it. Let's start figuring out what we're going to do to rebuild. And See, that's part you of it. That, you know.
1: Yeah. That's part of that mindset again, though, that those people were in immediately thinking about things like filing insurance. The guy mm-hmm. in Port-au-Prince wasn't thinking about filing his insurance. He was thinking, holy crap, what am I going to eat today? Because he was probably exactly. already thinking that to a degree before. So the the contrast is, is, is huge, And then, um, the, but the needs are the same. And it, it, it begs the question, what happens here if it's not an isolated pocket like mm-hmm. a Katrina or a Joplin? If it's a a widespread financial crisis or pandemic. And I think that people have a tendency to think that we can't end up, even if it's not as bad, but in a situation similar to what those folks are dealing with down there.
0: But I think that the, the, the main difference between, you know, a disaster here and the disaster in that developing nation that has no infrastructure is just like we talked about. It's hope you had, you know, the, the, the financial meltdown that that if less things change, we all know is going to happen to some degree or the other. But if you know if the balloon really goes up, I mean it it really happens. It melts down. You know it, it's it's we're going to be like all these countries that we see on the news. You know going nuts and having food riots and you know you know killing each other literally for you know a a bag of rice or you know a drink of water. And I think that unfortunately the majority of Americans think, well, it can't happen here. And and for the most part, you have that isolated, you know, segment of society that they want to go out and, and steal and steal TVs. And I'll never forget the picture of the guy in in, in New Orleans pushing the the cart through two and a half foot of water with a big screen on it that's half submerged. Yeah, like uh, it's I'll never going to work. I'll never forget that. Exactly. Yeah. I'll never forget that. But what are you going to do when it's not that isolated segment? always just looking for something to happen where they can, you know, get something for free or get away with it. What would it be like, you know, when it's not that isolated segment, and it's not a big screen TV, but it's everyone, you know, in your neighborhood and they're looking for food. (laughs) It's just the implications of it are just so terrifying. And and that is what, you know, uh, has led me to get even more prepared. You know, I came back from Joplin and immediately, you know, changed around where I kept all our documentation kits. You know, before it sounded great, one in each car, one in the house. You know, well, now I have one just like you said, across town in a family member's house. You know, and, and just for that one isolated, you know, incident, a tornado or something like that. But, you know, in a major collapse, if there is not hope, you know, it, it's... you, you Well, you only plan. need...
1: You only need 10 or ten or 15 percent of the people to lose hope to destroy it for the other 85, even if it's falsely lost, because that's when people go absolutely ballistic. And I think one of the misconceptions a lot of people have, and, and I'm all for this approach, get away from the cities, be prepared, because they're going to be much worse. And, and that's true. But I think what people don't get is. You better be more prepared than you think you need to be because you you can say that, well, if I'm out in the middle of East Texas and Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and and, uh, Corpus are on fire, I feel bad, but it doesn't really affect me. How do you think all the food and stuff gets to your small town? Every bit of it is routed through a major city somewhere. So if all the major cities are are in in turmoil, the people that run those cities are going to be whatever they can get instead of exporting it out through their shipping hubs – are going to be getting whatever they can and keeping it there.
0: Exactly. It, it, the, the stuff that comes into that city or whatever is already in that city, it, it's not coming to small town USA. It's not getting back out.
1: You know, it, it's
0: – uh, and, and once any type of order or infrastructure is restored, just like with power, you know, if you're on the outskirts of, of, of the major area, you know, I, I know I've heard it you know, said before on the show, if you're in an area that's population – 25 homes compared to the population of 5,000 homes, who do you think getting the power turned back on? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, that, and who do you think, who's the aid going to first? Who's the food going to first? And you, you can't
1: know, say that it's not fair. I mean, it's completely well, fair. Yeah, it you
0: know, it just makes sense.
1: You know? I've only got so many resources. You know, I'm sure when you guys go down there with a certain amount of supplies and food and things like that to Haiti, you would love to, to help everyone, but you have to um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, triage basically and determine who is in the greatest need and provide aid there first.
0: And that's exactly right. And, and that's in, in Haiti or, or Joplin or Birmingham or any disaster uh, that you respond to, especially, you know, and it's all aspects. It's food, water, medical supplies. You know, and, and that'll be, you know, for all of us and and whether you're a relief, you know, somebody going in, a volunteer to go in and help after an isolated disaster or whether you're, you know, a survivor, you, you, you know, that big event that happens, uh, you know, if it ever happens, you're going to have to make that decision. And I can tell you from experience, deciding who gets what, you know, deciding, okay, am I going to save – this child and expend X amount of supplies to do that, or I can work on these other 22 people with those same supplies.
1: And maybe say 22 instead of one. That
0: decision will be with you forever. So, you know, taking the steps to not have to make it so soon or so drastically would really behoove your, your psychological uh, health and your spiritual health.
1: What what makes you do all this? I mean, we've talked about people driving a thousand miles to Joplin to get, uh, to steal a pallet full of tampons or people coming out of the hills of Haiti to, to get relief. And, and you guys travel, risk your life, spend your money, um, interrupt your lives, you know, to help. W- what drives you to do that?
0: I think that, 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 you know, uh, part of it is a, just a spiritual thing for, for me and some of our other guys. Um, and some of the some of the guys that go with us, some of the people that deploy with us, and everything, they're they're not religious people at all. They're not you know Christians. They're not Buddhist, Muslim, whatever. They they just do it because they have the feeling of have this skill set, you know, or I have an abundance of whatever it is, money, food, whatever, that I could bless these other people. I could help these people. I think for me, it, it's you know, I have a skill set that that is unfortunately in high, high demand after, after a disaster, um, you know, being that emergency medical skill set, and on top of that, uh, over the years, you know, out of necessity, I, we have, we have gotten fairly good at organizing and planning, uh, aid distribution and running impromptu triage stations and clinics and things like that. But I kind of feel like if nothing else, um, I would want somebody to do it for me and my family. You know, if it was my town that got wiped out by, you know, the EF5 tornado, you know, I hope that somebody would come to help us. You know, uh, uh, I really don't, uh, I can't really put it into words why, uh, why we do what we do or why any of the volunteers do what we do. The same thing with, you know, why do you stop at the accident that you see on the side of the road? Uh, and there's no, you know, no fire, no rescue there, nothing, why do you stop? Because it's the right thing to do.
1: Correct. Um, Absolutely. And, and I might be able to help. I mean, that's what exactly. I've always looked at is I might be able to help, and if not me, then who? And in the time it takes for the next person to show up, somebody could be dead. And, and sometimes right. you can help people. Like you're in a car accident – there's times where if somebody will stop and just put pressure on a bleed, you can keep that person around long enough for a guy like you with more training to show up. And if you don't stop, then who's going to do that? Not the guy that's laying in the car bleeding to death. He's not capable, that he's, you know, incapacitated. And you guys do a lot with a little. I mean, the last time I had you on, you were talking about you guys put in a well and water treatment system with like a few thousand dollars?
0: Yeah, that, that was from, from the, this community. This community did that. This community has made a, I mean, it, you can't even, it, uh, us here at home, we, we really, in the States, we really can't understand what something as simple as what so many of us have in our backyard, such so as a well, you know, that, that pours water out of the ground, uh, what it means to people in developing developing areas. You know, now that's the difference between them hiking, some of them miles, walking miles to get a couple buckets of water out of a river that, that's gonna make you sick. You know, it was fine before the earthquake, but now you know that well if I don't drink it, I'm going to die. But if I do drink it, I might die. You know, it's so kind of that roll of the dice thing. Um but uh and then and then you get into the filtration system and everything and and especially now in Haiti with cholera, um, which is something that as preppers we need to think about uh the long term and those those diseases, those illnesses that will that come from just a, a lack of infrastructure, a lack of, of real sanitation. But anyway, the, the community has impacted people's lives, that I can't even tell you how many people. Thousands. Yeah, thousands. Uh, you know, if if the people impacted in Haiti could, could have and odds Internet connections, I guarantee that the, the communities, uh, the forums would be uh, a little bit more interesting. might be a broken English, but there would definitely be some – some thank yous going out and uh, uh there'd be some more downloads. <laughs> well, um But it doesn't take much to make a difference. Uh, it's, you know, anywhere. It doesn't matter if it's, it's Haiti. It doesn't matter if it's Joplin. You know, uh it doesn't take a lot of money. It's not a matter of, of throwing, you know, millions of dollars at a problem. That's been done in Haiti. Billions of dollars have been thrown at the problem and, and that's where the problem is. You put such a large amount of money in there with no plan for what to do with it. You know, the, their best bet is small organized groups that, that are willing to put boots on the ground and shake hands with the people and, you know, start the hobbies on the babies and, uh, and, and actually do that one-on-one care that that's where the difference was made.
1: Yeah. I mean, the money that went to the red cross that did or did not eventually get there didn't seem to do much from what I can see. Um, I know. I don't know if it's still true now, but I know at one point when I had you on the show, you said that uh, having been there several times, you had never even seen a, a Red Cross tent or set up at that point yet, in spite of the fact that hundreds of millions of dollars were given by Americans that wanted to help. And the amount of money that was given to the Red Cross, you could literally have repaired the entire place. Haiti's not that big a place. (laughs) It it, it boggles the mind. So, I mean, I'm really happy to hear that this community's come through to help you out. And I'm hoping that today they'll do that for you again because I know the work you're doing is real and meaningful and impacting people's lives. And I know when you guys get some money, you guys put it to work because I hear people – you keep saying the word deployment – and and my thing, folks, is to make sure you understand what deployment means. Deployment means they get their stuff together, they get on a plane and they go, and they're the ones doing it. It's not like a military deployment where somebody has all the logistics set up for you and you just show up and go. These guys are doing this stuff out, you know, out of their own sense of obligation and duty. And, and that's what, what Brandon's, you know, uh, charity is all about is putting that, that to work. So you actually have a new low cost way that people can kind of help you guys on an ongoing basis, right?
0: We do. Um, uh, it's something that we, we came up with and, and lots of other organizations have done something similar. Um, uh, the, the thing, it, like you said, with deployment, the only thing that keeps us from, from going to, uh, more disasters, uh, cause unfortunately they happen all the time. You, I mean, look at the, the tornadoes over the last two months. You know, there's been several, I think there's been what, three towns in the, uh, Indiana, Kentucky area alone, you know, not even counting Illinois the week before. They're completely gone, you know, and they're just small towns that are gone, you know, and, and you know, Joplin is still in the process of being rebuilt. You know, uh, obviously all the debris cleaned up. But it's a, uh, uh, you know, it, it, the need is ongoing always. And it's not just, uh, just Haiti. Haiti is a need where if you're there, it, you know, if you have the financial means to get there and, uh, and, and a medical skill set, at least for the cholera outbreak, but, but you will save people's lives. It is 100% guaranteed that every time that, that you go into those camps and you go into those cholera clinics, that people are dying, you know, in a scale that's just unimaginable. And, and the numbers are just so under, under reported. But the, what we came up with, what we do is is called the brown bag campaign and what we're asking people to people that want to partner with us, you know, and, and, uh, and help us get to these disaster zones here at home and abroad. Um, Cause the only thing that keeps us from going to more stuff and, and deploying more often is it's just financial and the only money we need there's not this overhead. I, I Bella doesn't have this big staff of guys that, you know, sits around and just waits for something bad to happen and collects a paycheck. You know, we're all volunteers. You know. Um we don't have big whiz bang command centers and, you know, uh these really cool four by four Humvee ambulances. You know, we rolled the Joplin in my buddy's truck pulling my old tool trailer and we just jammed as much relief medical and, and uh and, uh, physical relief you can gather up and put in there. Um, but the brown bag campaign is, is once a month. Um, bring your brown bag your lunch, bring your lunch to work and whatever that, that, uh, that money that you normally would have spent at lunch, the cafeteria, McDonald's, uh, I hope you don't even eat at McDonald's, but anyway, <laughs> wherever you would have spent that money and, and all you have to do is you go to the website, you click on it. There's a drop down. You can, you know, it's five, 10, 15. You know, you know, a dollar, it doesn't matter. And it's a subscription service. You do it once, you know, and it, and it builds on a monthly, on a reoccurring basis. And obviously, anytime you decide that, that you don't want to do it, you can, uh, you can stop it. But, uh, you can just shoot, shoot me an email and that's it. But, you know, and it doesn't, it's not much. It's five bucks. What's my five dollars a month going to do? Well, five dollars doesn't do a whole lot. Five dollars will save a child's life, uh, from cholera 100%. It'll provide the electrolytes. It'll provide the, the IV fluids. It'll provide whatever, you know, the child, that child needs it's five bucks. Um, but if we had, you know, instead of one guy doing it, if we had a thousand, you know, if we had 10,000, you know, uh, 10,000 people at five bucks a month, you know, Bella Medical Ministries. You know, we can go into disaster zones and we can go into these these areas of just abject poverty and it's not just Haiti and, you know, Swaziland, Africa, and it's Appalachia. It's right here in my city, a part of town called Newburgh, where there's an epidemic of undiagnosed di- diabetes that's killing people and they don't even know they have the disease because they don't go to the doctor, you know, or they're homebound, Um, but... You know, uh, all I can say is, is is, uh if you want to donate your money and see where it goes and be able to call the organization you're giving it to or email and say, what are you doing with my five bucks, then I'll show you. You know, if you want to come and say, hey, you know, I'd, I'd like to go on one of these trips to Haiti or, you know, be on a deployable list to go help out here in the States then shoot us an email, you know, it'd be a godsend for us. We would love to have as many volunteers as we want. I don't care if you want to go and hug babies and hold hands with people and just tell them that, you know, I'm sorry that uh, that uh your house is gone, but I, I'm here just to listen to you and help. Or if you're a neurosurgeon and you want to get into one of these uh, uh, temporary ORs, ERORs rs and save lives, by all means, you know, get in touch with us, but... Five bucks a month, you know, and I'm not Sally Struggler saying for the price of a cup of coffee a day, you can feed this child. All I can tell you is if you, uh, if you want to donate money to us, you know, you have uh, uh, our, our word as the men that run this organization, the people that run, run this tiny little organization, that uh, we will use all of your money to the best possible benefit of, of our fellow men, both citizens well, I- and, and citizens of the world.
1: I certainly believe that, and I, I, I believe that, uh, I have the, the, the skill that we say in the country anyway, even up in Pennsylvania when we lived out in kind of the country, there was a saying that I'm a pretty good judge of horse flesh, uh, meaning that I knew a good horse when I saw one, and that applied to men as well. And I, I know you're doing what you say you're doing, and you've been part of the community a long time. So I want to kind of help you, you get somewhere with this. So here's what I'm going to do. First of all, while you were talking, I just sent you a hundred bucks and uh what i'm going to do is i'm going to put myself on the hook for another 100 dollars for every 1000 dollars donated for the next 4000 dollars donated out of this community so if somebody joins for 5 bucks a month call it 60 bucks cuz i figure they'll stick around at least a year if they do 10 call it 120 if they do a one time donation figure out what it is every time you get a, another 1000 bucks in from this community send me an email i'll send you another 100 bucks and uh that'll put us at the point that we raise 4000 at 4500 and, uh, I think, I think that's, uh, that's a reasonable goal for us. I believe we can do that. And I think that'll help a lot of people.
0: Um, I do not know what to say, Jack. mean, all I can tell you is, uh, thank you. And, and, uh, if there's one thing that we've, uh, we've learned over the few years that we've been doing this is, it's how to, uh, to, to grab a penny and make Abe scream. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, you know, thank you very much. Um, the only other thing I would add to it is I know how tough it is right now, uh, economically. Um, if, uh, if you want to help and it's just one of those things where, where, you know, say that, and I wish I can do something, but I can't afford five bucks a month. And if you can't pay, hey, you know, my family's been there. I understand. And, uh, if you have an internet connection, you're on Facebook, please go check us out on Facebook. Click the like button. You know, it, as silly as it sounds. Uh, that makes a huge difference. You know, when I go to a big corporate sponsor, whether it's asking for tarps or blankets or medical supplies or money, you know, or a financial donation, one of the things they're going to look at is how many people pay attention to what we do. You know, if 10 people know about us, then they're a lot less likely to be interested than if 10,000 know about us. You know, uh um, uh, and from that corporate standpoint, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to, you know, get on uh, uh, our website or get on uh, uh, Facebook and every time a, a corporation does something, you know, sing their praises to heaven. It's like they give us a piece of gear, and this is what I've had to do in the past with manufacturers that have said, hey, we want to donate this and just tell us what you think. I'm going to tell you what we think. <laughs> if your gear sucks, then be prepared for us to say that. But, uh um uh, we would just say, you know, on our page, we don't. We only post things when there's something relevant. I don't get on there, I'll spam you. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna send you requests for money. We're not. You know, we don't do that. You know, we're we're not going to to be this thing where you go, man. Nah, I wish I would have never said. Look at this. It's twenty posts in well on my news feed. We don't do that. You know, yeah. If it's not relevant to, to disaster relief and world relief, then, then you're not going to see it on our page.
1: Well, let me help you with that, too, because I'm sitting here on your Facebook page right now. I just like it. you have 428 likes. I find that completely unacceptable, given that we have about 14,000 people on Facebook that like the Survival Podcast. So I'll put myself on the hook for another 100 bucks. And uh, when you get up to 2,500 likes, I'll send you another 100 bucks. So, folks, make me send that one today. Uh, that's an easy one. Go over there. I'll put a link in their show notes, like their page and, uh, make this one cost me. I'm willing to spend the money. I just want to incentivize you guys to, uh, to help out here.
0: Man, that is just, you know, and, and the thing about it is, is with this community, like I said, it's, it, I know I called in, uh, a while back just to kind of give an update and everything. And, uh, and, I, and I've said it before, and, I, and we were talking briefly about it before uh, before we started. Um, the community that's built around this show—you know, if, if you're a new listener, this is the first show we're listened to. This ain't one of the better shows. You need to go back and, and kind of look at the must-listen uh, episodes. But um, the community that's built around the show and within the forums and everything has done more. Uh, for at least with us, with Bella, has done more for relief efforts and, uh, uh, and getting, you know, boots on the ground and, uh, and aid in hand and, and, you know, getting water to people that don't, clean water to people that don't have it than some of the biggest churches, uh, that I've ever spoke at and asked for help. And not only has the community done that, but they've never, nobody has ever contacted me from TSP and said, Hey, I gave you X dollars, and I would like you to see. I would like to see you guys do this, that, or the other. Or you're doing this wrong. You need to do it this way.
1: Or don't carry a gun while you're rendering aid. I know you've I've heard, heard that, that. I've heard
0: that more than once, and, and it definitely wasn't from this community. Um, <laughs> and, and it's just unfortunately in some in this line of of, of uh, work, for better for lack of a better term a lot of the, the people that, that you go to for support look at things just like that and think it's unacceptable. And my general response is, it is, sure, I'll be happy to do that. When one of two things happens, one, you donate enough money for me to go and hire a firm that will <laughs> provide people to stand watch over us while we work, train military, trained people such, you know, like Triple Canopy or Blackwater or somebody, and or you come with me, and you bring your family and your wife, because I have men that entrust the safety of their wives. You know, we've taken you know uh, children on our trip, children being you know sixteen, seventeen years old. But I have families that have entrusted you know their husband to us, their you know their wife uh, to to our care, you know their kid to our care. And I'm sorry, I can't take you into a situation that can change at the drop of a hat, whether it's Port-au-Prince, Haiti in the tent cities or clearing debris in Joplin, Missouri, um, I can't take that chance that uh, that something is going to come up or, or that one person that has just lost that hope and has nothing left to lose is going to try to grab one of them, you know, and, oh, well, I can grab this lady and they'd at least give me a few hundred bucks to get her back, you know, or in Haiti, I can grab this lady and, you know, and, or in Haiti and in, especially in Africa, parts of Africa, you know, this lady right here is worth ten years' wages to me. You know, not sold back to the people I took her from. Sold to somebody else. You know, yeah. I, I can't take that. I can't take that chance. You know, and and that's. I'm sorry. Our organization operates the way it operates for a very specific reason. Um, we go. I don't think the, you have to
1: explain that to anybody yeah, here. I I it, we, not,
0: not in this community. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I get on a roll with it. I'm so. I've, I've had to explain it so many times, that I just kind of get that blank. You know, I, what are you talking about? There's no bad people stare back. I know I don't have to explain to this community, but anyway, that point being is I've never had anybody from this community, which has been one of our strongest supporters of all the people we've ever talked to ever come back to us and and try to dictate what we should be doing in any way, shape or form. Um, and, and whether uh, the other thing is, especially with a a disaster here at home uh, in the States, uh, it, you know, if you have family and friends in that area that's hit, um, drop us a line. You know, uh, you know, obviously it, it doesn't, it, it's not a money thing or anything else. We, you know, drop us a line if you haven't heard from them or, or they just need help. You know, there's a tree on their house. They need chainsaw or, you know, whatever it is, maybe let us know so we can go by and, and extend that, that, uh, that hand up and just help them out with whatever they need. Um, if we are in the, uh, deployed to that area
1: well you know i just want to say thank you for all the work you've done and for sharing with our community here and um for being an example uh and i think that people not just get an opportunity to help when you come on but they, i think they learn a lot too because it's 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 a lot different than the movies when you have to actually deal with these situations and, uh, just a heartfelt thank you, Brandon, to yourself and to all the guys that work with you that I don't even know. Uh, pass on my, uh, best wishes to them as well.
0: Well, yeah, they're, they are all, uh, they might not be active in the forums, but they're everybody that works with us on a regular basis. They're all listeners and, and, uh, it's kind of funny, you know, Chris and John Eric, friends, we've been friends for 15 years and worked together outside of, of Bella, you know, on ambulances and rescue units and, for years and years and I don't know how many until I'm blue in the face. Hey man, you need to have some extra food. Hey, you know, you should do this. Why don't you look into doing this? And, and none of it ever sunk in and, and yeah, whatever, dude, you know, you're one of those, you know, nutcase bunker guys. Uh, But (laughs) then they started listening to this rambling whack job in his car, you know, three, four years ago. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden it starts making sense.
1: Well, I try to make sense, even if I am a rambling nut job. And I do,
0: I even claim to be that myself. So
1: I'm certainly not offended by the thing. I actually, on my business podcast, I call myself an insane entrepreneur. So. Uh, I, I'm just glad to hear uh, about everything there, and I want to make sure people know. Um, you know, Brandon mentioned you can go do the brown bag campaign, and you can donate, you know, uh, monthly uh, of several different amounts you can pick from, and that's a great way to do it. If you just want to give these guys a hundred bucks or five hundred bucks, or if somebody out there has deep pockets wants to do a thousand bucks or something like that, if you click on how I can help, you can also just give them a one-time donation, and and like I said, make them add up. Every time you guys hit a thousand dollars for the next four thousand dollars, I'll throw in an extra hundred. Uh, get over there and like their Facebook. That'll that'll cost me another hundred bucks, and, and and I'll be into this uh, this time around for six hundred bucks. I, I I put my money where I ask you to put it as well. Uh, so please help these guys out and, and make sure you realize if you're some people don't just don't like to do something monthly, but they'll even do more at uh, right. one time. So make sure you know you have two options there. And and those of you using PayPal, if you're worried about like canceling a subscription or anything, you just log into your account. Like Brandon said, if you email them, they'll do it for you. But any subscription you have in PayPal, whenever you decided you've done it long enough, you can just log in, look it up, and cancel it from your end. It's real easy. It's one of the reasons I prefer PayPal over credit cards, which I find to be evil. Uh, so, so anyway, Brandon, again, thank you, and I and I hope folks, uh, I hope folks make me spend my money before the weekend is over.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I I hope so too. You know, i I'm, when I started doing this, it, it was very difficult for me to say. You know hey, you know we could really use use uh your donations and we'll be good stewards of them, but after doing it for for a while and and just seeing so many people in need um and and seeing what sometimes the donated money goes to with with big organizations and just what I spend my money on just day to day crap you know i uh, i I got no problem asking anybody anymore saying you know hey if you want to kick kick us a couple bucks, you know if you want to send us a quarter. Yeah, you know, whatever you want to do. Uh, uh, let me speak I don't up for you there, please,
1: guys. Please, if you're going to send Brandon some money, send him more than than, than let's say three bucks, because <laughs> to, because to run the transaction costs about a dollar forty four minimum on PayPal. So if you give him a dollar, you're actually going to cost him forty four cents. So yeah, let, Let's let's break the three dollar threshold at least <laughs> on, on that. Um, but again, man, thank you for for all your work and and for for all your participation in the community.
0: Well, I, I appreciate it, Jack. Thanks for having us back on. And, and I'd like to say that, uh, we'll never have anything to, uh, to add or no updates to ever give. But unfortunately with the way, you know, the world is and the way weather is and the way just man in general is, um, I, I got a feeling that even this has been a busy year for us so far. And, and I really unfortunately think it's going to be, uh, not even counting follow up release trips. It's going to be a busy, busy season. Uh, uh I hope I never have to meet any of you guys out there, uh, listening. I hope we never meet in your town, uh, under, a under a deployable situation. But by all means, if there's anything we can ever do for anybody, please let us know. Um, and then, uh, uh the only thing other I wanted to add just real quick, uh, to when I said that about the sponsor, Shelf Reliance, the Thrive Foods. Oh yeah. If, if you're kind of like on the fence and you're not sure if it's good or anything else, um, like when we go to Haiti, that is all we take, Yeah. Oh, wow. you know, we used to always do MREs, mountain house, this, that, and the other. And uh, uh, weight-wise, and, and MREs are difficult to do, but in taste-wise, it gets old eating the same dozen things. But but anyway, the, the, it, we we like the food enough that my wife is actually a consultant for them. So uh, that you know, it's one of those things where, like you said, your, your money where your mouth is, you know. That's what I store for my family, and uh, it's good food. And if you've ever had to deal with anybody, it's self-reliant, or
1: are good people. Awesome, awesome. Well, good to, good to hear. And, folks, with that, I am going to wrap up. We went a little bit long today, but I think that there was good reason to do so. Again, I want to encourage you to donate. I want to remind you of a single word, karma. It could be you, and I do believe in karma one way or another. That the things that we send out come back to us, and this is a, this is a good way to send some positive things out. And with that, I would just like to say this has been Jack Spirico today, along with Brandon Shelton, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's
0: on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we
1: eat. I don't know the answer, it's like
0: there's nothing I can do. Can't pay There's nobody up there cares, they're living for today.